Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Timothy Steele II. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are taking a look at this uh, Majoring in the Minors program, a uh, sister program to our other Proclaiming the One program. We're looking at minor feast days, festival days, a few commemorations and occasions in the church here. And today we are looking at January 1. No, it is not the high and holy feast of football. It is not uh, the high and holy feast of what do you do because of your hangover from the night before. Uh, January 1st is the day selected to honor and celebrate the circumcision and name of Jesus. The circumcision and name of Jesus. It was kind of fun doing a little uh, research on this uh, day, Pastor, that um, uh, this is a relatively uh, new, quote-unquote, new uh, observance or feast day in the church because the people really didn't want to give up all the partying and licentiousness, is that how you say the word, Uh, associated with the uh, end of the year type festivals. And so uh, some sources say 6th century, other sources say 9th century, but uh, the Lutheran uh, reformers were adamant that this is the day to be celebrated, not New Year's Eve. And uh, so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. We have a tradition here at Good Shepherd that started long before Poppy got here that we have a New Year's Eve service. Maybe we need to rethink that uh, theologically and practically with regard to what we do going forward. And I'll just plant that little seed for you. Uh, Pastor, you, you served for many years in a uh, different parish in a different part of the country before you came uh, back to Lincoln and to Good Shepherd. What, uh, what were your traditions there with regard to what you did in the church uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? Uh, yeah, I was in North Dakota for eight years, a, a wonderful place and uh, great people there. Uh, we always scheduled a New Year's Eve service, and uh, I served there for eight years, and I think seven of the eight years uh, it got stormed out. Uh, and so we spent our New Year's Eve shoveling <laughs> okay. uh, and moving snow. And, but, when, uh, and when you did your, uh, my, my cr- question really is, is when you had your worship service, whether you were able to actually have it or not because of the snow, did you use the readings for New Year's Eve that no. are in Lutheran service book, or did you use these readings for the circumcision and naming we of Jesus? We always focused on the circumcision and naming of Jesus because of the uh, importance of it, uh, both Christ getting his name, which tells us exactly who he is and what he's come to do, as well as uh, even the shedding of his blood um, that takes place for the very first time, which is a necessary part of circumcision, uh, and also then the the idea that it happens on the eighth day of his life, which again brings us to baptism and eternity and all these things uh, wrapped up together in just a, a few short words. We uh, we have gone over in our Proclaiming the One uh, program, it was two or three years ago, New Year's Eve fell on a Sunday, and so we used the New Year's Eve 
propers for the Sunday morning worship service. So if you're interested in that day and a thorough examination of those readings, uh, check out our archives, www.thecross957.org, with regard to Proclaiming the One and New Year's Eve. We are going to dedicate this program to the readings appointed for the circumcision and name of Jesus. And I think of all the Sundays in the church here, of all the occasions, festivals, feasts, commemorations, I have to say, I don't remember any readings being shorter in total than the readings appointed for this day. So that allows us uh, a little extra time to dig deep into theology as well. The gospel reading appointed for January 1st, the circumcision and name of Jesus is Luke 2. Are you ready for this, folks? Verse 21. One verse is the gospel reading appointed for the day. We have, uh, in many churches, we have just heard the Christmas story, Luke 2, 1 to 20. And now the very next verse. Vicar, are you ready for this? I know you've been preparing for weeks. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Gospel reading for the circumcision in the name of Jesus. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, there you have it. Short and sweet, and it covers both. Da 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 da. The circumcision and the name of Jesus. Okay, so Pastor, um, as I as I like to do when we have uh, any reading, but uh, can you give us a, a little bit of a recap of what has happened so far in John one? Um, I mean Luke one, long chapter, and then in the first twenty verses of Luke two, that sets the stage because it's vitally important that we understand the context here, that it sets the stage for what's going on in verse 21 of Luke 2. Yeah, uh, Luke's gospel begins with um, Zechariah serving as a priest in the temple. Uh, There was an incense altar located in the holy place that was in front of the curtain to the Holy of Holies, and uh, chosen by Lot, priests would go in uh, occasionally to burn incense on that particular altar, and Zechariah was chosen by Lot to do so, so he goes into the temple, uh, he burns the incense, and the angel Gabriel appears to him at that time and tells him that uh, he and his wife are going to have a baby. Uh, Zechariah is caught off guard and doesn't believe that because um, he and his wife are past the childbearing years, the um, the the way that babies are made uh, isn't happening with them um, physically, and so he says that can't happen. And Gabriel uh, uh, strikes him mute, or really God does through the angel Gabriel, um, and as a result, uh, he's unable to speak. Uh, his wife does conceive uh, and begins to grow the um, the baby John the Baptist uh, within her body. Six months into that pregnancy, the angel Gabriel now shows up to another person in uh, ancient Israel, to the Virgin Mary, who lives in the town of Nazareth, uh, up by Galilee, a little podunk spot, just a few uh, cave houses uh, in a tiny little valley there. You can still see them underneath the uh, Church of the Annunciation. Um, and so she shows, uh, the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, now you're going to conceive uh 
even though you'll remain a virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the one that you're going to conceive is going to be Jesus. Uh, and he's going to be the one who saves his people from their sins. And uh, Mary, in, in contrast to Zechariah, believes the word and um, uh, rejoices at what God is doing. And um, so then there's uh, she moves to go be with uh uh, Elizabeth, uh, down in her hometown. Um, it's kind of a, the way they worked in the ancient world. You didn't uh, advertise your pregnancy publicly, especially if you weren't wed. And so she went to go live with relatives in quietness and uh, apart from the the glare of uh, neighbors and things like that. Uh, John the Baptist is born, at which point Mary comes and lives with, uh, goes back home, uh, gets married to Joseph, and uh, then they head to Bethlehem. And it's there at Bethlehem as they're staying um, with relatives that uh, Jesus is born. Um, and uh, there's an article I wrote in the Lutheran Witness about this. You know, it's not like a hotel or an inn or anything, but uh, they're kind of having the whole garage, if you will, from that house to themselves. And that's where Jesus is born and laid in the manger. And uh, that, that pretty much summarizes where we're at here in Luke's Gospel. Okay, now, <clears throat> when, uh, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you know, you're going to have a baby and you're a virgin and how can this be and all this stuff, uh, is there anything stated there about the name Jesus or circumcision at that point? Well, uh, it is mentioned that uh, you shall... Uh, this is verse 31 of Luke chapter 1. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which is, uh, it's, a, it's a loaded name. It's an important name. Um, the name is a combination of two Hebrew words, Yah, which is short for Yahweh, and then Shua, which means to save. And so uh, the Lord saves. And we, it's the same name that Joshua had. Uh, it's the, just a different way to spell it. Um, when he led the Israelites to conquer the Holy Land and into the Holy Land through the waters of the Jordan River. It's also the name of the high priest at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, who oversees the rebuilding of the temple, which isn't something that we should just quickly overlook. That's really key, uh, especially when you see Jesus as the fulfillment of the temple. And that is often overlooked because we don't know our Bible history and we don't make the connection between temple, tabernacle, and Jesus. Thank right. you. Right. And so take a look at Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, there's a guy named Jesus there, too, who's, who's really an important figure and a prefigure of Christ. Uh, and so then, of course, you know, Jesus has that same name as well. And we are not literary critics. We believe that the Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. And in Matthew chapter 1, we, uh, this angel Gabriel is really busy. Uh, the angel Gabriel uh, visits someone else, and that also has a connection with the name Jesus. What was that all about, Pastor? Yeah, um, the angel Gabriel also visits um, Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. And uh, this is an important thing because um, Joseph is a, a righteous dude, too, uh, kind of like Ferris Bueller, I guess, uh, a righteous dude in the sense that um, he doesn't want his wife to have been 
cheating on him and he's a little concerned about that so he's but he doesn't want her to be stoned either so his plan is uh, to marry her and then to divorce her quietly uh, so that she's kept safe but then also he's not married to someone who's uh, been an adulterer and Gabriel shows up and says no Mary hasn't been an adulterer she hasn't cheated on you the baby that she has growing in her is directly from God and is in fact God himself and so um, we have Gabriel keeping that marriage together, if you will, as well, by preaching the truth about what is happening within Mary. And uh, in Matthew 1, I want to say it's verse 21 off the top of my head. Vicar, uh, the angel Gabriel tells uh, Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, and then Gabriel gives uh, an explanation as to the how and why the name Jesus is going to be given. What was that all about? Uh, The reason that's important is because Jesus means, and he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. And so right in that name, we already know that this child conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit is going to be the promised Savior all the way back from Genesis. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the key is the name Jesus is given because he will save his people from their sins. He will save you from your sins. And uh, w- that's, I, that's a very regular thing throughout all the pages of Scripture. The names of the people always tell you what they're going to do. Uh, and, and you should really spend more time studying those names because that gives you a hint on what's going on. And we're going to pick up right there when we come back from our first break. Proclaiming the one majoring in the minors, January 1. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today we are looking at the circumcision and name of Jesus. This uh, festival is celebrated on January 1st, January 1st, and uh, we uh, we talked in our first segment about uh the, the real importance of the uh, theology that's going on here. The gospel reading is one verse, Luke 2, 21. Pastor did a, a marvelous job of uh, recapping everything that has happened so far in the gospel of Luke. We've also looked at the gospel of Matthew, uh, the Christmas account, how busy angel Gabriel is in all of this, and the uh, name Jesus and some of the theological import that God has given the name and has uh, revealed to us. So uh, Luke 2.21, at the end of eight days... Um, I know sometimes the circumcision and name of Jesus is called the Festival of the Octave. Pastor, what's the big deal about eight days 
And uh, I, I know we could do a whole program just on eight-day theology, and we can't. So uh, if you can, can kind of summarize this whole significance of the eight thing. Yeah, I'll try to do it real briefly here at least. Um, we go all the way back to the creation uh, that God did in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And God called everything into existence over the course of six days. Um, and then on the seventh day, God rested from all that he had done. He looked at it, and everything he created, he said, was very good. And so the idea was is that the creation, uh, in essence, takes seven days, and that becomes the foundation of the, the week. Um, it becomes the foundation of uh, the calendar, um, even... Um, the way that the, the Jews measured their time was based upon the uh, lunar uh, calendar, which every 28 days you have a new full moon. And so that fit in really well with the seven days of creation. And uh, seven kind of becomes an important number because of that. Now, the idea then is that one more than that, uh, seven being a number that is complete, one more than that uh, brings across the idea of recreation, renewal, uh, fixing what was broken. And uh, that uh, is seen in many places. John's gospel is very good at this because we have the idea that Jesus is crucified and killed on the sixth day, Friday, and that he rests in the tomb on the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday, and then raises from the dead on the eighth day. Uh, the world being recreated uh, by Christ's own world uh, words, um, look, I make all things new. Uh, and, and that's the idea then that we have in the number eight. Baptismal fonts traditionally have eight sides to indicate this. Um, even mathematics, right? Uh, the number for infinity or eternity is the number eight, uh, turned sideways, of course, to be the symbol for eternity and infinity. Uh, and uh, that's the idea that's here as well. The mark uh, that marks the, the men of Israel who are to eventually father, in a sense, the, the Messiah and carry on the promise of a Savior all the way from Adam to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David. Uh, the ones carrying that promise mark themselves on the eighth day, the day of recreation and eternity, on the part of their body that um, will eventually bring about a Savior through procreation. Uh, and, and that's kind of the neat thing that's going on here. Okay, so we've got all of these things very, very well said uh, and uh, condensed down for us we uh we have uh the number eight everywhere we got eight people saved on the ark uh we have this uh eight as a symbol uh god's law says circumcised on the eighth day and so that is that is built into the law jesus technically rises from the dead on the eighth day circumcision is uh, swallowed up now in god's gift of holy baptism eight sides on the baptismal font so we've got this eighth day new life new creation resurrection theology everywhere and it's and it's genesis 17 uh verse was it 12 where uh, God tells Abraham specifically, it's the eighth day that the circumcision will take place, and all that other stuff explains why. And, uh, you know, again, we've only got a limited amount of time here, but it's interesting. Uh, God calls Abraham 
um, in Genesis tw chapter 12, and the gift of circumcision is given in Genesis 17. So we know that circumcision is not a good work that saves Abraham, but the grace of God that saves Abraham. Um, there's there, Again, there's so much we can uh, talk about here. But with regard to circumcision, you said something, Pastor, that I want to I press you on. Um, God, God requires circumcision. He demands circumcision. Now it is a, uh, it is a health thing that is done for baby boys. Um, uh, female circumcision is called genital mutilation. Uh, and that is a, a horrific practice that we uh, certainly condemn, uh, throughout the world. But this uh, circumcision, you said that uh, the, the part of the member of the male anatomy through which the Savior would come. Well, wait a minute here. I thought, uh, I thought Jesus was immaculately conceived by the uh, power of the Holy Spirit upon Mary. Do we have a contradiction here in Scripture? Uh, I could see how someone would think that, but of course that's not the case. The uh, the promise is given that um, through natural procreation, uh, the people of Israel will be brought about, and they are the people then who are marked with circumcision to set them apart as the people whom the Savior is going to be born in. Now, Jesus is definitely conceived miraculously and not naturally, but rather through the work of the Holy Spirit entering Mary's ear. And so Jesus uh, is the the son of God the Father, uh, not the biological son of Joseph or uh, any other human being. He is the son of God. At the same time, Mary uh, is naturally born and conceived from her parents uh, and all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way back to Noah and Adam. And so we see here, too, that um, it is a, a mark of what's going on here. And it's interesting in... Um, make sure I get it correctly here, um, to the woman, God said, I will multiply your pain in childbirth, your desire to be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Uh, the curse that she has is that uh, childbearing is going to be more painful, and yet the promise is given that that's the way that God is going to save his people, is um, one of the offspring of uh, the woman, and this is then said to Satan uh, in Genesis 3.15, uh, one of the offspring of the woman will be the one that will crush the serpent's head. And so we have all these things being brought together. And if you emphasize one over the others, you could probably get yourself lost. But if we take it as a whole, it makes perfectly clear sense. Well, and it's the, uh, the same tension that we have between the uh, two natures of Christ. If you overemphasize his humanity or overemphasize his uh, divinity, you end up with a false Christ. He is both, and uh, we need to keep those two in tension. Pastor, um, you know, reading reading the uh, early uh, Lutheran church fathers, especially Luther and Chemnitz, they freely and openly talked about circumcision as an Old Testament means of grace. When people use that kind of terminology, what are we talking about here? Um, well, the the idea of a means of grace is the way that forgiveness is bestowed. Um, and so baptism brings us forgiveness of sins. The Lord's Supper brings us forgiveness of sins. The preached word of God brings us forgiveness of sins and, and faith. And, and so all those things are means of grace. Um, and in a sense... Um, 
Circumcision is a means of grace that is fulfilled in the waters of holy baptism. Now, it's not um, a means of grace in the same way that God attaches a promise to a physical means um, in the sense that... um, We already have their fulfillment, but in the sense that it is a mark of the confession of faith that you have and that uh, by physically cutting uh, the people, you are confessing your belief that a Savior is coming. In that sense, it is kind of a means of grace in a certain sense, but it's, it's not... It's not complete, and that's because Christ hasn't come to fulfill it yet, and maybe that's the way to think about it. Uh, I think, uh, there again, very good. Uh, I think basically what they're saying is God used this to create faith in the Savior who was to come. And in that respect, the Old Testament sacraments are always incomplete because they're a shadow of what is to come. Well, and and I think what I'd say is that the real um, means of grace that they had in the Old Testament uh, isn't necessarily them obeying and cutting people, but rather the word of God that's attached to that that says Jesus is going to come. And so in a sense, it's the same means of grace that we have here today. Very well said. Vicar, um, Colossians chapter 2 um, talks a lot about the connection between circumcision and baptism. Could could I get you to read Colossians 2, 6 to 14? And then, Pastor, in the time that we have left in this segment, I want your commentary. Colossians 2, 6 to 14. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. Okay, Pastor, we have circumcision, baptism, a circumcision not made with hands. We've got the death and resurrection of Jesus, and specifically our sins are nailed to the cross. How does that all fit? Got about a minute. Um, well, what I'd say is is that um, circumcision is not something that is necessary for you to have done to you to be saved. Rather, um, God creating faith in you through waters of baptism, through the Word, and through the sacraments, uh, that is necessary. And that brings the forgiveness of sins earned by Christ, who fulfilled all of the law for us, even by being circumcised for us. Uh, that's where the, the law of circumcision is fulfilled. That's why you don't need to be circumcised. Christ has been for you, and by his going to the cross and dying and rising again, um, God has given you that fulfillment uh, so that 
everything that Jesus has done counts for you. Uh, or in baptismal waters, you're clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a poor, miserable sinner. Rather, he sees Jesus covering you, and therefore, you know you can be saved. And every, well said, and everything you said about circumcision applies to every aspect of the ceremonial law, fulfilled and completed in Jesus. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading, Numbers 6, 22 to 27. Don't change that down. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we are parking the car at January 1, the celebration of the circumcision and the name of Jesus. I can uh, pretty well assure you that this is not one that is widely celebrated, widely recognized in the church, and I guess we're making kind of a pitch that maybe it should be. Maybe this is a... uh, uh, theologically significant day that talking about the uh, person and work of Jesus that we need to consider um, how uh, how we view this and uh, the uh, first two segments we looked at the one verse reading Luke two twenty one and uh, there's a lot there folks we want to shift now and look at the Old Testament reading appointed for the circumcision in name of Jesus January first. I think uh, these are some pretty familiar words uh, for Christians and non-Christians alike. Numbers 6, 22 to 27. Vicar, take it away. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Okay. Number 6, 22 to 27, the Old Testament reading for the circumcision and name of Jesus. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is oftentimes referred to as the Aaronic benediction not to be uh, not to be confused with the pauline benediction the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be among you be and be with you now and forever amen this is the more traditional one recorded for us here in numbers chapter six and uh pastor um most 
most Christians are not familiar with anything in the book of Numbers. Oh, maybe the spies going into the land of Canaan in about uh, chapter 13 or so, if I remember right. But um, what is the significance of God telling Moses to tell Aaron and his sons to do this? How, How does all that fit? Yeah, well, um, when God's saying it to Moses uh, and to Aaron and to his sons, that that's an important thing. Moses, of course, is kind of the uh, figurehead, if you will, of the people of Israel that leads them out of slavery and into the promised land. And in that sense, he's kind of like pastors that come later. Um, he's also kind of like the... Uh, the main figure, if you will, of the Old Testament, um, right up there with Abraham, in fact. Um, And Aaron, though, is more important. He's the first priest, the first high priest. He's the one who's supposed to uh, pour the blood and and do all the hard work of being the high priest uh, for the people. Uh, And then we're talking about the sons. We're talking about all the rest of the Israelites. And so Aaron, as the priest, uh, is told by uh, the intermediary, the one between God and the people, Moses, uh, to bless the people and to do it in a threefold way, which I think helps teach us also about the Trinity. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. But uh, that's really the key here is, in a sense, it's teaching the church how to act. The priest, the pastor, blesses the people with the blessing given to them by the intermediary. Uh, for, for Aaron's sake, that's Moses. For us, it's Christ. And the blessing is the same, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Uh, I don't have my uh, my Hebrew with me. I don't know. Do either one of you guys have, have access to that with all your... Uh uh, phone gadgety kind of stuff. We we have uh, the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Uh, is this uh, the Lord Adonai or is this the Lord uh, Yahweh? I, I don't know. I'd have to look. Okay. Uh-huh. I thought that I'm checking it right now. Okay, Give me Vicar, a moment. Vicar's taking a peek here. So we do have, you know, whenever we have in the Old Testament these threefold things, this is always an allusion to the Trinity because um, Scripture is clear, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so you got one God, and you have all these three things happening here, and this is at least an allusion to the... Um, to the Holy Trinity. Now, Pastor, uh, I think it's important that we that we uh, think about that at this point in time, because many people in the church are familiar with these words, even though they don't know anything about the Book of Numbers. They're familiar with these words because they hear them at the end of every worship service. We call this the benediction. And so why would we take these almost obscure uh, words, why would we take these almost obscure words from Numbers chapter 6 and make them such an integral part of the divine service on uh, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever? Well, I think, first off, that's... um 
maybe not quite saying it the right way in the sense that we decided this is what we're going to do and we're going to take and make these words uh, a part of our worship service. From the time they're recorded for us uh, in the scriptures, they were important words and they were used and they were um, almost from the very beginning used in the worship service. And and that's that's, uh, a key thing here. It was God's giving of this word that made it a part of the worship service and it continued that way all the way until Christ and then it even continued that way uh, afterwards as well. And so to think that it's something we're doing to add these words into the worship service or use them as a benediction is kind of a falsehood in that sense. It's God's doing, the giving of the word, uh, and we have faithfully used it since the time that he gave it. In the uh, At the beginning of the worship service, the divine service, we have uh, the uh, invocation and baptismal words. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now we have this threefold blessing, uh, and thank you, Vicar. It is uh, all of the Lord mentions here, uh, references here are Yahweh. Which makes sense, since they're all uh, capital letters here. <laughs> they are in my Bible. I just wanted to check on it, too. So um, is there a baptismal connection now between the... Old Testament Aaronic benediction at the end of the service and the words from Matthew at the beginning of the service, can we make that kind of a connection? Well, uh, I think what we can say is that in both cases we're placing God's name upon us, and so it's marking us as Christians, as people who believe in God and in his promises and trust his words and hold them faithfully, and I think that's a key thing, and in a way, uh, I always use the example, it's kind of like branding cattle, right? Uh, So when we're baptized, God's name is placed on us the same way that a brand is put into a cattle, or today they use ear tags instead, and that marks the cattle as belonging to a particular rancher. Uh, And we're marked as belonging to Christ. And we begin our services remembering that we're marked that way, and we end our services going out into the world remembering that we're marked that way. And that's really a key thing. And the book of Revelation picks up on that idea as well, with people being marked as Christians uh, versus those who are marked as not Christians in a fake way. Uh, And that's really a key part of being Christian, then, is understanding who we belong to and what that means. And the circumcision of the children of Israel certainly marked them as uh, different in a uh, culture that would would have known nothing about circumcision. Uh, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, Pastor, I think when a lot of people hear References to the Old Testament, they think of a God who is angry and vengeful and warring and doing all this uh, cataclysmic, catastrophic kind of stuff. That the, This benediction does not sound at all like the stereo, stereotypical understanding of the God of the Old Testament. Uh, what's happening here? Well, uh, the people who say that God is a mean God in the Old Testament and he doesn't get to be nice until the New Testament obviously have never read the scriptures and don't understand uh, what God's actually doing because throughout it all, God is bringing about the salvation of 
humanity uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, just as he promises from almost the very first few pages of Scripture. Uh, And so sometimes that does involve uh, protecting the people through whom Christ is going to be born by uh, destroying, invading armies that would wipe them out and uh, eliminate them. Uh, And yet the purpose is so that Christ can be preserved and, and brought about the proper way in the proper time. And uh, God here is bestowing the same blessings that he gives in all the other places. Uh, he's doing it in a very concise way here and teaching us how to do it in the worship service here. And yet the promise and the blessings are the same throughout all the rest of the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Vicar, uh, Vicar went all the work and checking out all the Hebrew there. Um, the name Yahweh is uh, what is used here in no- number 622, 24, 25, 26. Uh, Vicar, what is significant about the name Yahweh? When Moses encounters God in the burning bush and he's flustered and he's like, I, I-, I can't do this. And besides, even if I go to them, who am I going to tell them that sent me? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh. It's the name that is given to Moses to tell the people that God is coming to save you. And not just any created God or, you know, a pagan deity. It is the maker God, the one true God who always exists. It's his it's his covenant name with Israel. Uh, Pastor, the, the name Yahweh... Uh, it's kind of an odd name with regard to the verbiage of, uh, you know, the Charlton Heston movie. Rather than use the name Yahweh, says "I am that I am." What what what, what is this? Uh, I am stuff. Well, it's it's the same phrase it's the same word and in fact that's what Yahweh means uh, in a sense it means I am that I am uh, in a more complete sense I'd say it means uh, I am the very uh, existence itself right nothing exists beyond me or without my um, desire or knowledge or ability and so he's the one that sustains all that exists uh, and even when he speaks about himself in the book of Revelation he uses that same sort of idea when he says uh, the one who was the one who is and the one who uh, is right now um, and uh, another Trinitarian another tree thing um, and and that's the way God wants us to understand it, and that's how he wants us to be identified, is the God who brings us into existence and without whom we would not have existence. And this is the God who puts his name on you in the waters of holy baptism. This is the God who puts his name on you in the benediction. So as you leave the divine service where you've received word and sacrament, now you go out and live your life the way God wants you to live a full life in Christ. We need to take a break proclaiming the one majoring in the minors, January 1, circumcision in name of Jesus. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. This is Pastor Poppy, along with me, Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the circumcision and name of Jesus. January 1 is set apart or set aside for the celebration of this day. The color of the day is white. The proper preface is the Christmas proper preface. The introit are selected verses from Psalm 40, specifically Psalm 46 to 8, and the antiphon is Psalm 40, verse 16. The Psalm of the day, uh, shouldn't surprise anybody, is Psalm 8, and the gradual is a combination of Hebrews 8.10 and Hebrews 10.17. The verse is uh, Matthew one twenty one, and we talked about that in our very first segment where uh, Matthew records that uh, the angel Gabriel told Joseph, she will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In this last segment, we want to take a look at the epistle reading that is appointed for the circumcision and name of Jesus, January 1 on the church calendar, Galatians 3, 23-29. Vicar? Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay. Um. What a theologically rich section of Scripture to kind of kind of wrap a ribbon around uh, much of what we've talked about here, Pastor. Um, this can be a very very confusing phrase in Scripture uh, in the book of Galatians when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, "Before faith came." People sometimes get a false understanding that the Old Testament people were saved by works and the New Testament Christians are saved by faith, by grace through faith. And uh, this, is a, this is a very common misunderstanding. And uh, these kind of texts, without a proper understanding of what's going on here, can almost feed into that. What is... Paul getting at when he says before faith came in verse 23 and then in verse 25 but now that faith has come um how do we understand that pastor well um rather than thinking about it on a you know cosmic global scale you know that some people existed before there was faith and and some people now exist after there's faith 
Paul's speaking more in an individual sort of uh, sense. And so there was a time uh, for the people he's writing to in Galatia, which is located in central Turkey is where it would be located today. Uh, it always makes me sad to think about Turkey. It used to be a Christian uh, stronghold and center, uh, part of the Byzantine Empire, and now it's uh, now it's not, and that's sad. But uh, he's talking about the individual there who would have been born pagan and raised pagan and then heard the word and come to faith as a result of hearing the word about Jesus Christ. And so before they heard the word would be before they had faith, and they were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the time faith would be revealed. But now that they've heard the word and been perhaps baptized and received the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, now faith has come to them through those things so that they now look to Jesus Christ and trust in him. The uh, Very good. Verse 24, I'm just going to keep right on going down the line as you were doing. Um, so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Pastor, in what way was the law a guardian until Christ came? Well, the law was a guardian in the sense that it helped us understand what was right and what was wrong, which helps us to understand who we really are, that we are not um, uh, holy people in ourselves and that we have not uh, pleased God in ourselves, but rather we sin, we fall short. And uh, if we honestly consider the law, um, we can say that honestly about ourselves. I mean, so for example, the law says, uh, you know, you should drive 40 miles an hour. And so what do we do? Well, we drive 45. You know, we are always pushing the law, breaking the law, going outside the law. Um, the signs that say, uh, do not walk on the grass, make people do what? Walk on the grass. Uh, and therefore, they can see the truth about themselves, that they are sinful people and that they need some sort of salvation outside of themselves. The, the whole point of this uh, epistle reading, and uh, in a sense, the whole point of... Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia is that while the law is extremely important, the law has no power to save you, and that we are justified by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. When verse 26 says, "You are, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. That phrase, Pastor, in Christ Jesus, it's uh, very, very common in the New Testament, en Christo in the Greek, that phrase, in Christ Jesus. Uh, I want to be in Christ Jesus. How, how do I do it? Do, do I uh, do I? pay a lot of money? Do I sign a petition? Do I pray a prayer or ask Jesus into my heart? I want to be connected to Jesus. So how does this work? Uh, well, in uh, the way you are put into Christ Jesus is kind of like I said a few minutes ago, it's through receiving God's word, uh, either preached into your ear, attached to water in the holy baptism, uh, or attached to bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. In those ways, God comes to you. Um, we cannot, by our own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit in those things calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, and sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith. Uh, and that's exactly what Paul believes 
believed, and uh, Paul being a good Lutheran, of course, and uh, um, that's what the scriptures teach, uh, because God's a Lutheran also, and so we see that here uh, taught as well. Okay, so thank you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Pastor, how, or uh, Vicar, I want to ask you, verse 27, Vicar, how do we put on Christ by being baptized? Well, we put on Christ in baptism first and foremost because his name is put on us, the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is put on us, but also, too, in other epistles that Paul writes, when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death and resurrection. And so when we think about putting on Christ in baptism, it's not the idea so much of, oh, I'm going to, you know, go put on Christ myself. It's that we are receiving Christ. Christ is being put upon us. His death, his resurrection, his salvation for us is placed upon us. We are robed in his righteousness. Well said, well said. Pastor, uh, this section of scripture is theologically rich, and it is also theologically and practically abused. I'm not uh, sure that I know of any other uh, section of scripture, especially here at the end of Galatians chapter 3, that is more twisted and contorted to make a false doctrine point than uh, these words right here. Verse 28 says, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, pastor, um, there still is Jew and Greek. There still is slave and free, and there certainly is male and female. Uh, a lot of people use these passages uh, for, you know, transgender identification kind of nonsense. But more commonly, they use this as a um, uh, biblical grounds for women's ordination. You know, all these distinctions are gone now. So how are we to understand, Pastor, what the Holy Spirit is writing through Paul in verse 28 with regard to neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, using this as a foundation stone for women's ordination or for transgender studies is nonsense, uh, and it's taking one little part of Paul here out of context and not reading the rest of Paul. Uh, Paul has no problem talking about the existence of women. He even says, you know, cover your head, things like that, uh, when you go into the church building to show reverence. Um what Paul is saying here is that the most important thing for your identification is that you're a Christian. And so you can be a Christian male or a Christian female. You can be a Christian Jew or a Christian Greek. And yet the thing that unites us in the church is still that we are Christian. That's the first identifier. I think uh, the best way that I've had this uh, explained, and again, well said, well said is uh, in a couple of... Um, uh, CTCR documents from Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that talks about the uh, difference between the order of creation and the order of redemption. And certainly in the order of redemption, there's no difference. 
uh, we're all sinners. Christ has bled and died for us, and we're saved by grace through faith. But according to the order of creation, there's lots of differences, and uh, we can rejoice and celebrate in those differences, not pretend that they don't exist. Oh, sadly, we need to uh, kind of bring things to a close here. Uh, Pastor, uh, what what do you think? You, you think a day like this, the circumcision in the name of Jesus, is worth uh, honoring and uh, celebrating in our churches as we uh, consider the uh, upcoming years and what services we're actually going to provide? Uh, I think that uh, the theology of the circumcision of Jesus is really important because we didn't even talk about this uh, uh, yet, but uh, it, in a sense, it is the very first blood that Jesus sheds during his earthly life. He is uh, circumcised, blood is poured out, and that blood is all given and poured out to fulfill the law and to forgive us all of our sins. And so when we think about that, it's really important. Uh, Kuhlman pointed out the other day, too, we talked about this um, on a different radio show, um, and Kuhlman pointed out that this takes place um, exactly 70 weeks after the angel Gabriel first appears to Zechariah. And so, again, we see fulfillment being brought about in this, and so all sorts of neat things happening. Cool, cool. And uh, I, I, we're, we're really going to think through, you know, what we, uh, what we do for the years to come here at Good Shepherd. Uh, Vicar, would you uh, be so kind as to bring our program to a close by praying the collect of the day for the circumcision in name of Jesus? Let us pray. Lord God, you made your beloved Son, our Savior, subject to the law and caused him to shed his blood on our behalf. Grant us the true circumcision of the Spirit, that our hearts may be made pure from all sins. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele and Pastor Clint Poppy, thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We'll see you again next time. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>